So in Isaiah 6, Isaiah is brought up into heaven and he has this vision of God in all his glory and he sees the angels around him and he just falls down and he cries out in verse 5 this, Woe is me for I am ruined because I am a man of unclean lips and live among a people of unclean lips. And because my eyes have seen the king, Yahweh Sabaoth. Now growing up, there was this song we would sing in Sunday school. It went like this. I may never march in the infantry, ride in the cavalry, shoot the artillery. I may never shoot for the enemy, but I'm in the Lord's army. And thinking back, that is actually a really weird song. Like by saying I may, it implies that there is a possibility that one day there will be a big enough war that would force the draft to be used once again, causing untold amounts of young people to be shipped off to a distant shore only to fight a battle they don't quite understand against an enemy they will be trained to see as something that is not human so they don't have to deal with the implications that they are actively attacking fellow image bearers of God. And when it says shoot for the enemy, is it saying that your target is the enemy or that one day you find yourself becoming sympathetic for the other side and before you know it, you are trying to stop the war because you realize that it is a pointless conflict run by people whose interest is only to increase their own power. But in doing so, you end up being chased by the very soldiers that once called that you once called brothers and sisters until you're cornered and have to fire back at them to save yourself and in doing so perpetuate the cycle of violence that you were seeking to stop. But that song sure is catchy. Now that isn't to say that there isn't any kind of military overtones in the Bible. Some of the most famous stories people know are about battles and conquests. So it may not be a surprise that one of Yahweh's nicknames points to God as being this ultimate warrior king. Yahweh Sabaoth, often transliterated as Yahweh Sabaoth, has been translated in many different ways. Sometimes it is the Lord of Armies, occasionally the Lord Almighty, but most famously as the Lord of Hosts. Now growing up, the Lord of Hosts always confused me, like, what does it mean by hosts? I always thought a host was a person who was just hosting other people. So is this saying God is the best at throwing parties? The word that is translated as host is the Hebrew word savah. It is used almost entirely concerning armies. Like in Genesis 21, Abraham is visited by Abimelech and Falco, who is the commander of Abimelech, Abimelech's savah. But it can reference all the heavenly beings. This includes the stars and spiritual beings like angels. Finally, it is used in Genesis 2.1 to describe everything that exists both in heaven and on earth. So the picture we should have when we read Yahweh Sabaoth is of this warrior king, one who rules over all creation. This militaristic kingship is often viewed in the prophets like Isaiah and Jeremiah, who use this name all over the place. Often, the use of this name is in conjunction with describing how various nations will conquer other nations, but all of this is under the direction of Yahweh Sabaoth. Now, while this name leans heavily into the parts of the Old Testament that people seem to have a hard time with, like Yahweh being this angry, vengeful God who causes wars and death, the name actually keeps in line with our discussion of how the names and nicknames of God show a God who loves and cares for people. This is best seen by where we first find the use of this name. It isn't in the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. It 
isn't in the conquests of Joshua. It isn't even in the cycle of Yahweh raising up judges to free Israel from those that oppress them. It is actually in the crying out of a woman who is at the end of her rope. You see, in 1 Samuel 1, we meet Hannah. Being barren, she desperately wishes to have a child. And while visiting the place where the Ark of the Covenant was, she pleads with God to help her in her affliction. She does not call God El Shaddai. She does not call God El Elyon. She instead calls God Yahweh Sabaoth. Hannah has come before her king pleading for help, and help is what she receives. Yes, by identifying Yahweh as the one who commands all armies, both on earth and in heaven, we recognize the royal aspects of his nature, but as we see with Hannah, the Lord of armies uses his power to respond to those in need. While it is true that many passages illustrate Yahweh as the one who sends armies from one country to bring punishment to another, those passages also often show how Yahweh uses that same authority to bring peace and rest to those who need it. Yahweh Savaoth reminds us that God is our warrior king. He fights our battles for us. The greatest victories recorded in the Bible are not won by human armies. All they have to do is just stand there and watch as their king fights for them. Revelation ends this way. Yes, it has a picture of Jesus, who is God, leading his armies, but it tells us that even though Jesus and his armies are fighting against the combined forces of Satan and all the armies of the world, all those armies, Satan, all of them are defeated not by the armies with Jesus, but only by the one leading the charge. The army doesn't have to do a thing because their warrior king has already won the victory. In fact, we will never have to march in the infantry. We will never have to ride in the cavalry. We will never have to fire the artillery. We will never have to shoot for the enemy because we are in the Lord's army.